It's a privilege tonight to have many of you with us who are visiting, and we've seen you come in. We've greeted you, and we want you to know we appreciate your being here. And uh, some of you are going to visit with us uh, for a while, and uh, maybe you're visiting with your family for a few days. We're glad you're here with us, and we hope that we'll be able to study God's Word together so that we can learn something. I dare say most people understand that this time of the year, many people are thinking about the birth of Christ. And the question is, how should we respond to that? First of all, we need to realize that whenever you and I are presented with an opportunity, we ought to take that opportunity for good. In Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16, Paul would say, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The word redeeming the time indicates make the best of the opportunity that is presented to you. We live in an evil time. It's rare that men think spiritual thoughts these days. And when you find somebody whose mind is at least in some direction thinking about something spiritual, we ought to make the most of that opportunity. In the book of Colossians 4 and verse 5, he put it much the same way by saying, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. There are people who are not Christians. There are people who are outside the body of Christ And how may I find some opportunity to reach them? Now, we as Christians have to separate fact from fiction. We live in a world today that has taken the picture of God that is revealed in the Bible and they have molded it into the image they want it to be. They are doing very much like the children of Israel did at the foot of Mount Sinai. They made God's like they wanted them to be. And we can't allow the world to say, well, this is the way it was, or this is the truth, without us separating some of that fact from fiction. We also have to recognize there is a religious observance that the world has, and there are personal opinions. When it comes to religious observance... I'm talking about what the Lord's church does as directed by God. We have absolutely no authority, no direction in how we are to celebrate the birth of Christ. Not having that direction, we can't do that. On the other hand, if a person individually wants to honor God in some way, We go to Romans chapter 14 and verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully assured or convinced in his own mind. A person needs to make sure that whatever they do, they are doing in harmony with the laws of God. But if a person wants to individually honor a day, then they must do so when they follow their own uh, guidelines and strictures about doing what God has said. It's always appropriate, though, to teach the facts from the Bible. 
It's never wrong for me to, even on a time in which the world is thinking about this, to deal with what the Bible teaches about the birth of Christ. In fact, I think it's appropriate. And so we're going to study a lesson called The Beautiful Star of Bethlehem. I will tell you that this was my grandmother's favorite song. She would sing it in July. She would sing it in October. She would sing it in March and all the other times in between. In fact, the only thing that I was specifically requested to do at my grandmother's funeral was to lead the song, congregational singing, Beautiful Star of Bethlehem. And that certainly was her favorite. For the letter to ask me this afternoon about leading the song, it's not in our books that we have now, but many of you perhaps know that song. The star that has reference there is to the one found in Matthew chapter 2. And I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles there to Matthew 2 because that's going to be the basis of our sermon tonight. It's produced a lot of curiosity. Did the Lord use some natural phenomenon or did he make a special star to appear? I will tell you my opinion, and it's simply my opinion. I believe that the Lord had a special miracle that took this because not only did it appear to lead these men from the east going west, but it also led them from Jerusalem to Bethlehem over the house where Jesus was. There's a lot we do not know, though. And some of what is written and what people think are two entirely different things. For instance, many of the people who will put out nativity scenes, and I'm putting that in quotation marks, will have the three, quote, wise men being there next to a manger. And that's certainly not what Matthew chapter 2 teaches. I will point out to you as we go through that that's not in the Bible. That's something that man has made up. This lesson will weave some various reactions to the birth of Christ with the details recorded in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at four things. Number one, wise men seek Christ. The chief priests and scribes ignored Christ. Herod opposed Christ, and Joseph and Mary welcomed Christ. And that's all found here in Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2. Let's look, first of all, again, going back to Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2, and then dropping down to read verses 9 through 11. And let's look at these wise men. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Dropping down to verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star that they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. 
And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Notice how Matthew records that. After Jesus was born. Not when Jesus was born, after he was born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they had not yet left Bethlehem and gone to Egypt. Number three, it was in the days of Herod the king. And we'll talk about Herod just in a little while. And I want you to know specifically, and when they had come into the house, Jesus is no longer in the stable. Jesus is no longer where the uh, manger was kept. He's now in a house. Days have passed since Jesus has been born. But then it says the wise men came. Sometimes you may have heard people tell you that these were kings. In fact, I can remember in elementary school having to sing a song, We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We travel so far, field and fountain, morn and mountain, following yonder star. Some of y'all probably had sung that song as well. Three kings? The text called them Magoi, from which we get the word magician, astrologer, sorcerer, and wise men. You see, these people were a part of what's sometimes called a priestly class of advisors to rulers. They're not the rulers. They're the advisors to the rulers. The best examples I can give to you is found in the Old Testament book of Daniel. Notice with me Daniel chapter 2, verse 2, 10, and 27. And the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. Dropping down to verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of a magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. Dropping down to verse 27. Daniel's in the presence now of the king and said the secret which the king demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. You see, this class of men, that's exactly who is being described coming from the east. The east would be Persia. So it's very likely that these men were great advisors to a king. Now, sometimes, though, the word is translated sorcerer, as in Acts chapter 13. Our young people have been studying this section for the Bible Bowl. And we learn now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. That word there translated sorcerer is the same word for wise men here in Matthew chapter 2. In verse 8, but Elamus, the sorcerer, so is his name translated, withstood them in seeking to turn the proconsul from the faith. What you can look here is, this man Elamus was an advisor to Sergius Paulus, who was the proconsul. You see, what we learn is these were advisors 
That's the role that they had. But they were wise men. And following along with that, wise men still seek Jesus. But where? Where are you going to find him? He's not in Bethlehem of Judah. And he's not even in physical form. And this person says, well, I want to see Jesus. I want to know who he is. I want to know where he is at. John 7, verses 33 through 36. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I come, or I am, you cannot come. And then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Gentiles and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, You shall seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Jesus is saying, I'm going back to the Father. You won't find him here on earth. In fact, you get to John chapter 14, and Jesus is now not speaking to the unbelieving Jews at the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is John 7, but now he's speaking to his disciples. And he's going to tell them also, the last part of chapter 13, where I go, you cannot come now, but you'll come later. And so the Lord fully explains in verses 1 and following, Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. You want to seek Jesus? Where is he at now? He is at the right hand of the Father in eternity. That's where you're going to have to seek him at. Now, next... Let's look at the way the chief priest and the scribes reacted to Jesus. Verses 3 through 6. Now Herod the king heard this. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You see, they knew. They knew the answer to Herod's question. In fact, they quoted for him Micah 5, verse 2. Here's what Micah 5, 2 says. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. They knew the answer. Now my question is, why was there no interest on their part? They have become aware of the fact that this is 
where the Savior is to be born, where the Messiah is to be. They have become aware of it. If you're interested in spiritual things, why not go to Bethlehem? It doesn't appear that they're interested in going to Bethlehem. Let me tell you why. They saw Jesus as a challenge to their power and their authority, and they didn't want to give it up. You see, they had the people eating out of the palm of their hand. And you mean the Messiah is going to come along, the ruler, the one who's going to take over, and we're going to take back seat? Uh-uh, we're not going to do that. I want you to look at Luke 22, verse 2. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how that they might kill him, for they feared the people. They wanted to kill Jesus. They had to do so very craftily because they knew the people would not respond in a positive way. In fact, in Luke 9, 22, Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Jesus knew this tension, this difficulty existed all along. And you see, many people embrace that same sort of attitude today. They're just like those scribes and Pharisees and chief priests. Many people show little enthusiasm or interest in Jesus. You bring up the idea of Jesus the Christ. Oh no, let's don't talk about that. Let's just ignore that. Ignore the person who brings that up. The only reason why people today are interested in Jesus is like so many in John chapter 6. Where are the loaves? Where are the fishes? You have people who ask for benevolent help. And believe me, folks, we have to be those of a kind heart. But you try to not only feed their body but feed their soul, and they make it very plain very quickly. I'm not interested in going to your church. I just want your food. That's why many people treated our Lord. The only time some people show passion is when they realize that their teachings challenge, or the Lord's teaching challenges their behavior. And then they no longer ignore the Lord, then they attack Him. When people talk about peace and kindness and goodwill, Everybody's just, oh, well, let's, let's just, you know, don't make it too religious. On the other hand, when you talk about things like abortion, killing babies, homosexuality, an abomination in the sight of God, now you've gone to judging then. Our Lord condemned those things. And ignoring them will not make them go away. Number three, let's look at Herod. So look at verses 3 and 4 and uh, then look at verses 13 and 16 in Matthew 2. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He wanted to know under the pretext that I may go and worship him. Drop down to verse 13 now. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, 
saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until uh, I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Dropping down to verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and sent and put forth, or sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Two years old and under, all those babies killed. You see, Herod hated Jesus. Herod the Great is the Herod that we're discussing. Of course, I like the way John A.T. Robertson puts it. He says, Herod the Great pervert, because that's really what he was, was a ruthless, conniving maniac. You say, you don't like him, do you? He was a mean man. He schemed to persuade the emperor to make him king over Israel and was successful and he was conniving to do that. But the thing that makes Herod so remarkable is his lack of respect for human life. He killed anyone he perceived as a threat to his rule, including his wife, Mary Amney, who he loved dearly, like went crazy after he killed her. Killed his sons, he killed a couple of them, and then he'd wait a few years thinking, well, maybe these are my good sons. And then he would get suspicious of them and have them killed too. He was a mean, vile man. Consistent with his character, though, he feigned to worship Christ. Like, you know, tell me where he's at. I want to go worship him. Yeah, right. You want to go kill him. That's the reason why the wise men would not cooperate with him. But do you realize there are many people who do the same thing today? They claim to honor Christ, but they do the exact opposite in their behavior. Oh, I love the Lord. You do? Look at the politicians. Look at their record, not their rhetoric. They'll tell you, oh, I am a good, honorable Christian person. And then you look and see the way they live how ungodly it is, the positions and the platforms they support. And I don't care what party they're from. They feign loving the Lord. And then they do exactly the opposite of what His Word says. But it's not just them. Listen to Titus 1 and verse 16. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Luke 6, 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Number four. Let's back up just a little bit from Matthew chapter 2 to the latter verses of chapter 1. Let's look at verses 18 through 25, and then we'll put with that Luke one thirty-eight. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, 
Son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and shall call, you shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled through by the spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. He did exactly what he was told to do. He welcomed Jesus, called his name Jesus. With regards to Mary, Luke one thirty-eight. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary said, You say that I am with child of the Holy Spirit? Let that be. We want that to take place. They were eager to welcome Jesus into this world. And why not? Both of them knew by the hand of the angel that this was the Christ. Good people will welcome the coming of Jesus. Listen to Luke 8 and verse 40. So it was that when Jesus returned, the multitude welcomed him. For they all were waiting for him. You know, I think about this time of year when there's so many of us are going to travel from one place to another. And when you arrive and you haven't seen someone for a while, do you know what everybody does? They all hug each other. They all just make over each other. There's smiles on their faces, or at least ought to be. When the Lord returns again, there ought to be this joy, this happiness, this enthusiasm. We're waiting for Him. How do I know that? Listen to 2 Peter 3, 11 through 14. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because the heavens being dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. We look forward to his coming again. You see, there's some people, when it happened the first time, were not really ready to welcome him. But Joseph and Mary were. When the Lord comes a second time, there will be some people crying out, and oh, it won't do any good. And there will be others who will welcome his return. The star of Bethlehem pointed to the location of Jesus beautiful star of Bethlehem. Today, it's not a star. It's the Bible that point men to Jesus. Tell us where he is, what he is doing, what he has done, and what he shall do. Will you seek him 
Will you ignore Him? Will you oppose Him? Or will you welcome Him? If you will, open your songbooks now to the song of encouragement. And it's all relating to whether or not you're ready to make Jesus the Lord of your life. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you will repent of the sins that you have committed. Confess your faith in Him, that you believe that He is the Son of God, and be baptized for the remission of your sins. The Lord will add you to His body, the church. Your name will be written in the book of life that we talked about this morning. And you will be prepared for that eternal home where Jesus is. If you're a Christian, and you as a Christian need to be restored to faithfulness, we beg you, we plead with you to come as well. As together we stand and sing.